Do you know the Bible is God's holy word? Do you know it is inspired, inerrant, and infallible? If so, like, share, subscribe, and support this podcast. For we are Maranatha Ministries, and our redemption draweth nigh. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the program. We are your host, Jose and Matthew, getting back to the apocalypse of Isaiah tonight. Isaiah chapter 33, and oh my goodness, are we going to get a chest full today. Um, very good stuff. We're going to start off uh, today with prayer, uh, just to uh, preface what we're going to, what God's going to knock us sideways with here. So, Jose, you want to pray or you want me to? Uh, yeah, I prayed. I started last time, Matthew, so why don't you pray us in today and I'll pray us out. All right. Dear Heavenly Father, whom we serve through the Lord Jesus Christ, thank you so much for your Son and our Savior. Dear Lord, I pray that you fill us with your Holy Spirit tonight, that we might bless those who listen and partake, whether here in the live or in the archive, because you can stretch out across time and place. So please, dear Lord, guide Jose and I to do what it is that you would have done to the best of our ability with what it is that you have given us. In Christ's name I pray, amen. amen. All right, Jose, what's your opening comments here on uh, the 33rd chapter? Oh, um, good stuff like always, Matthew. Um, I got a lot of callbacks to a lot of stuff that that we've already talked about in Isaiah uh, the apocalypse of Isaiah. Um, yeah, God's, God's really kind of progressing us along, right? When it comes to, to this um, whole little story he's telling, this tale he's weaving. Uh, it's just, it's, um, it's like he just keeps finding a different way to say the same thing, Matthew. You, you keep hearing the same things that he's telling us about, that he's been telling us about, Again, and always just giving us a little more detail, a little more detail every time he repeats himself. So um, I think it's tempting in the mind, right? When you start hearing the same story over and over, when, you're, when your grandparents keep telling you that same story over and over, Matthew, you, you kind of say, well, here we go again. Here's that same story I've heard a million times. But if you listen, you'll, you'll, get, you'll get some interesting details. You'll, you'll get... You'll get stuff you haven't heard before. And and that's what I get out of this chapter, Matthew. Yeah, it's like every time he, well, it's interesting. The information we're going to get tonight is important, but it's different. It's different than what he's talked about before. It's different, but yet you get more details. But yet he's saying the same thing over again. And... Tonight, it's really weird how he inverts this upon uh, the antagonist that we know what is going to happen here. We, we know what this tribulation trigger is. And here, he turns that thought on its head. You're expecting to hear something about birth pains. You're expecting to hear that kind of phraseology. But he turns that on its head. And he threatens the antagonist with, uh, well, some very strange threats that they're going to, well, give birth uh, to something. And it's just it's just absolutely off the hook. And some other things he states here are just really disturbing when you take it in context of why he would say some of the things he does here. It's just... It's amazing at, you know, you're exactly right. He's going to say the same thing. If you're this far into the apocalypse of Isaiah and you don't know the narrative, then something's wrong. You, you, you've been taking all these chapters out of top, out of context. You haven't collated them into one single narrative, which that's what it is. This is the apocalypse of Isaiah. And this is the event he's going to show you. This event, in so many different ways, you're going to be able to triangulate it. That's what it's like. 
we know how you set up uh, any type of uh, coordinate system in a 3D layout. You know that. Um, and it's just amazing that that's what he does. He will turn it around and show you a different perspective. He'll turn it up and show you this way. He'll turn it upside down so that you get this grid coordinate in a three, three-dimensional area, this three-dimensional space. And what's, what's really most important about this is he continually reminds you that, that in order to do that, in order to plot a course in a three-dimensional space, the last coordinate you have to have is, of course, where you're coming from. You have the destination, X, Y, and Z, and then you have to have the point of location, the point of origin that you're coming from. He repeatedly tells you that. By the way, I'm coming from Mount Zion. He repeatedly tells you that. And he repeatedly tells you this is a path. And, you know, especially the other chapters when when the hosts of heaven were trying to hide in the shadow of the earth. And they were trying to get these false prophets to tell them that, no, God's not coming in this path. I mean, literally all the all the details is just off the hook when you know what you're looking at. When you know what it is you're reading, oh my goodness, it'll make you stagger back. But uh, that's my opening diatribe on it. And, you know, I'm excited about it anyway. Um, I just love God's word. I mean, I know, I know where it's going, but exceptionally so tonight. So I think I'm going to take this first stanza, which uh, will run us through to verse 12. And uh, the New American Standard Bible in 95 updates is what we're using, as that is the mainstay of this ministry. I'm having a little trouble with my throat, so don't be surprised if it gives out. But if it does, I'm sure that Jose can finish the stanza for me. So, remember the narrative. Remember what he's talking about, ladies and gentlemen. He is talking about 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is your eschatology. The tribulation period begins with his day. This entire narrative is about his day, what he's going to do on his day. And that tribulation ends with the day of his son. His son is coronated somewhere in between. So with that in mind, this is what he's going to tell you about. He's going to tell you about his day. And this time... Just take note, I've mentioned it before, but he's going to mention locusts here. You need to realize that this shock wave that comes with him is likened to locusts. That's what the book of Joel is about. The entire book of Joel is about this, this single day. So with that in mind, expect to hear about that. Expect to hear something about, well, you're going to hear something about shock waves. So starting from the top of Isaiah chapter 33, New American Standard Bible 95. Woe to you, O destroyer, while you were not destroyed. And he who is treacherous, while others did not deal treacherously with him. As soon as you finish destroying, you will be destroyed. As soon as you cease to deal treacherously, others will deal treacherously with you. O Lord, be gracious to us. We have waited for you. Be their strength every morning. Our salvation also in the time of distress. At the sound of the tumult, peoples flee. At the lifting up of yourself, nations disperse. Your spoil is gathered as caterpillars gather, as locusts rushing about on it. Verse 5, the Lord is exalted for he dwells on high. He has filled Zion with justice and righteousness, and he will be the stability of our times. A wealth of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. Behold, their brave men cry in the streets. 
the ambassadors of peace whip, weep bitterly. The highways are desolate. The traveler has ceased. He has broken the covenant. He has despised the cities. He has no regard for man. The land mourns and pines away. Lebanon is shamed and withers. Sharon is like a desert plain. And Bashan and Carmel lose their foliage. Now I will arise, says the Lord. Now I will be exalted. Now I will be lifted up. You have conceived chaff. You will give birth to stubble. My breath will consume you like fire. The people will be burned to lime, like cut thorns which are burned in the fire. Jose? Wow, Matthew. <laughs> That's pretty powerful stanza there. Um, if I'm not mistaken, Matthew, he's talking about the axe here. That's who he's directing this this uh, diatribe to. Um Right, the treacherous deal treacherously, the treacherous deal very treacherously, right? Straight out of uh, Isaiah chapter 24. That's um, Yeah, I, I caught, so Matthew, I caught that, like you said, the caterpillar takes us right to Joel chapter 1. That's right. Um, and and that's that's a, a um, an interesting chapter to read. Um but the locust here, Matthew, I, I found it. I found it in a couple of interesting places. Um, I found that same Hebrew word in First Kings six nine, in regards to the beams and the planks of the house of the Lord. And so, this wow. this lines up. This lines up with what you're saying, right? About um, uh, that that wave coming. Okay. Right, that, that galactic wave, like what you just it opened up the show with. Um, and I also found that word in 14.3 in reference to pits. So what, what kind of locusts are we talking about here, Matthew? <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's the thing. We, these things are terrifying the host of heaven. Yes. And, and this is what we all need need to realize Joel's very specific that this thing is unique, whatever it is. And that's just what you, you, you just have to run with is that whatever this is, it's not, not normal. Uh, we don't know anything about it. Not only do we not know anything about it, obviously the host of heaven don't know anything about it either. So all we do know is that mechanically, the Bible's very clear, especially with his wheels on this movable altar, this 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 movable apparatus. He uses that Hebrew word there for wheels, explicitly designed in the uh, movable apparatus there uh, in the millennial temple. So there's four wheels on that apparatus. And what it seems to me is that these are literally four different types of entities, four different types of angels that he's writing. And this is why Solomon's temple had these movable uh, altars and things, um, just like the, uh, the sea. It was, it was on four wheels, but he's giving you this idea that Whatever he's writing, it's terrifying. And uh, it is, it's like they're focused. Um, there's no bartering with these entities. And somehow they play a part in the physical, physical repercussions through creation when he impacts planet Earth. So there's not a whole lot of details we can give about those entities outside of the simple fact that we don't know what they are. And whatever it is, nothing is able to stop them. So, pretty interesting that, that well, he's using this kind of phraseology. And yes, he's obviously, he's obviously talking about the Assyrian here. There's no doubt about it. And once again, you know, we hear this, we know what the target is. The, the Bible's very clear. He's going after those children. 
Um, literally, ladies and gentlemen, you have to understand Revelation chapter 12 tells you that this is from the coalition um, of these angels, this, this, this dragon. This dragon commissions the Assyrian false prophet to carry out the deed and murder these children. This is the third and final slaughter of the innocents, and God himself says, I don't think so. So now you understand, now that Jose and I have talked about this several times, especially from, really got a lot of data there in uh, Isaiah chapter 26, you know who is filling Mount Zion. You know exactly what he's talking about in verse 5. The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. When he gets back, what happens? Now that he gets back, okay, let's read that one more time. The Lord is exalted. Okay, so this is past tense. After the great day of his Lord, after all this happens, now he's going to be exalted. That's what he just said, la-di-da-di. Everybody's going to praise him now. And now that he gets back to Mount Zion, he's filled it with what? Justice and righteousness. And he will be the stability of our times. For one thing, you need to know this. From that point forward, time does not work the same. Time is forever altered. Right now, you have 365 days of 24 hours apiece. That's not where you're going. And in their kingdom, time is going to be completely different. But we've talked many different times about how this is going to be the case, how it is that a Zion has been filled with justice and righteousness. But we're going to have to just jump over there real quick. Remember who he talks. This has a name in Hebrew. They were called the Moshe'im. You know them from Revelation uh, chapter 14. That's, that's what that chapter is dedicated to. Now, the other chapter dedicated to this very event, when, uh, when this event happens, God calls these that, uh, that go up with him to Mount Zion. He calls them Moshe'im here in Obadiah, the 21st verse. The deliverers will ascend Mount Zion to judge the mountain of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. So this is what he has filled Zion with. Let's go ahead and jump over there to Revelation chapter 14 and read about these children one more time. The first five verses usually does the bill. But remember, this is what he's talking about. This is, this is who God has filled Mount Zion with. He's already given you big details that these angels have abandoned their post. I mean, all this information has been obtained from the apocalypse of Isaiah. So this is the group going to Mount Zion. He's getting ready to tell you who it is that Jesus trains for 1,260 days. For three and a half years, these first fruits from the room, these first male-born children. This is what happens to them. Then I looked and behold the lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 having his name and the name of his father written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the sound of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder and the voice which I heard was like the sound of harpist playing on their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders and no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. These are the ones who have not been defiled with women, for they've kept themselves chaste. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been purchased from among men as first fruits to God and the Lamb, and no lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. So this is the group that's going to Mount Zion. So when he says this, you know, uses this sort of phraseology here in uh, Isaiah chapter 33, you immediately know who he's talking about. You immediately know that's what Zion got filled with, with these, these children. And he repeatedly makes these, these references to twins, <laughs> like right here. He fills Zion with justice and righteousness. He does this many times. 
And now you understand that from this time forward, time is going to be different. As you already know this, you know that the book of Revelation plainly states you that from that point forward, one third of the day is struck and one third of the night. Well, guess what, ladies and gentlemen, there's only one way that can happen. So when he states that from that point forward, the stability of those times, that time is secure, he's, he's not joking. So it's, it's amazing how some of these verses in here, you know, he just throws in here and it's obviously us crying out to God. It's, it's amazing how there's no way around it. He's wanting you to know that um, you're going to be pulled out of this event. And he's very clear. Me and Jose have just, we continually have done this on WITC Radio. There's no way around it. I don't care if it's it's Thessalonians. I, I, I don't care where you go. He always does the same thing. He who walks righteously and speaks with sincerity, he who rejects unrighteous gain and shakes his hands so that they hold no breath. Literally, there's no way around who's going to survive this event. But more importantly, he tells you detailed information about the tool that the four writers are going to do. Those birth pangs, you realize he just gave you specific targeted things to look for. Let me read it again. No one understand. God is coming right out and telling you, by the way, as soon as you see this thing, you better have your saddle already oiled. Your steed better already be brushed down because you get ready to ride. Listen to this. This is very specific. At the end of the birth pangs, at the end of 2,300 days, this is what it's going to be like. The land mourns and pines away. Lebanon is ashamed and withers. Sharon is like a desert plain. Bashan and Carmel lose their foliage. As soon as this happened, look, verse 10 is actually God himself talking. Ladies and gentlemen, this, this, is, a, this is a Peter, Paul, or Mary. This is God himself. As soon as he's literally waiting for this to happen. Let me read it again. This is what God's waiting for. The land mourns and pines away. Lebanon is shamed and withers. Sharon is like a desert plain. And Bashan and Carmel lose their foliage. Now I will arise, says the Lord. Now I will be exalted. Now I will be lifted up. You have conceived chaff. You will give birth to stubble. Ladies and gentlemen, he just told you exactly what the Assyrian false prophet's going to do. If you didn't know this, I don't know what else you were, you were waiting for. The Assyrian false prophet knows this is, this is his marching orders. Did I catch all of you by surprise? Ladies and gentlemen, the Assyrian false prophet knows to strike when verse 9 has been completed. You need to understand something, ladies and gentlemen. The axe knows who he is. He knows what he is. This is literally, Isaiah chapter 33, literally just gave him his marching orders. Don't you realize that? This is why he makes the pact. Everybody knows he makes this, this covenant for one week, right, Jose? Yes. And they never bother asking anybody, well, why does he break it? How does he know he's supposed to do that? Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, the Assyrian false prophet has his marching orders. He knows what he's supposed to do because he believes Isaiah chapter 33. It's just the rest of you that don't. Now everybody needs to realize what the book of Daniel talks about. He's standing there. And all of a sudden, an evil thought enters his mind, and he turns toward the beautiful land. Right, Jose? Mm-hmm. I mean, all these right. all these entertainment eschatologists just repeat that and repeat that and repeat that, right? Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, what he's doing 
staying his course right there. He's got his eyes to Bashan and most assuredly Carmel. He's waiting for Carmel and Bashan to lose their foliage. That's why he's camped there. Oh my goodness. Surely you're all not learning this right now. Ladies and gentlemen, that's why he's camped there. He's waiting for this event to happen. It must be in the middle. Well, it's obviously in the middle of a massive drought, right, Jose? I mean, we know what the four riders do, correct? Right. So with that in mind, ladies and gentlemen, no one understand this in your heart. He is waiting for the last straw. This is obviously a prolonged drought, and he knows the last thing to fall is going to be that mountain, that mountain peak, Mount Carmel. It's going to lose its foliage. As soon as it does, he knows he's supposed to spring the attack. And if your entertainment eschatologist has never told you this, you need to turn them off. You, You know, because... If they're claiming to be an eschatologist, if they're claiming to be an expert in Bible prophecy, and they never bothered to tell you where the Assyrian false prophet gets his marching orders from, and more importantly, if they've been telling you that he's really the Antichrist, and they've never explained to you that, by the way, Antichrist is never in the book of of Revelation. That term, the Antichrist, is never in the book of Revelation. It's never there. So if you're just learning all this now from the very first 12 verses of Isaiah chapter 33, I'm concerned for you. And I have due course to be concerned for your welfare. I mean, especially if you happened upon Jose and I because you're interested in Bible prophecy. And if you're over... You know, if you're over 40 years old and you've been studying Bible prophecy and you didn't know why he does these things, I'm more than a little concerned. You haven't been edified. You have no idea what's to come. You've been entertained. Jose? Um, verse 8, I'm sorry, verse 7 also caught my eye, Matthew. Right there where it says brave men, some translations say valiant ones. Um, that word in Hebrew, Matthew, is almost the exact same spelling as the word Ariel in Isaiah 29. And then when we, when we get to ambassadors in both the Greek and the Hebrew, that's the word for angels. Um, yeah. Yep. And peace, of course, is shalom, which brings to mind Jerusalem. Right. That's right. So that that like you're saying before, Matthew, that God's also talking to the angels in, in, in these verses here. He's telling them what's coming um, because of the, the covenant that they've made with the with the treacherous one. That's right. Yeah. That's and right. Uh, and uh, and also real quick, verse eight, Matthew, I, I found a lot of those Hebrew words tying directly to Isaiah twenty eight fifteen. The, the covenant with death the covenant. And, and Isaiah, Isaiah 28, it, all Isaiah 28 talks about is what you read in Obadiah and, and revelation 14. I mean, it's all, it's all tying together, Matthew. Yes, it is all tying together. <laughs> in so many ways, it's crazy. It's tying together in so many ways. It's crazy. You know, Wow, we have so much we could cover right now. Now that you you said that, you're just spurring me to talk about more. When I've already, I mean, we're already a half hour into this. Right. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I'm going to say this again. If you didn't know why the Assyrian false prophet camps where he does, and waits, and you didn't know that he was looking to those peaks, waiting for his time when he was supposed to invade. I'm concerned that that these sons of disobedience 
have just entertained you to the point that you're in danger. And, and you all need to learn this tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, the New Agers are not your enemy. They're the lost, okay? You know, 100% of the time this ministry has been attacked. It's not been from the lost. It's been from the sons of disobedience. Jose, you want to pick up the next stanza for us? Yes, I can. So picking up on verse 13. You who are far away, hear what I have done. And you who are near, acknowledge my might. Sinners in Zion are terrified. Trembling has seized the godless. Who among us can live with the consuming fire? Who among us can live with the continual burning? He who walks righteously and speaks with sincerity. He who rejects unjust gain and shakes his hands so they hold no bribe. He who stops his ears from hearing about bloodshed and shuts his eyes from looking upon evil. He will dwell on the heights. His refuge will be the impregnable rock. His, red will be, his bread will be given him. His water will be sure. Boy, ladies and gentlemen, if, you know, that just triggers remembrancers with me. It, it really does. Um, you know, let's, uh, well, it should have triggered remembrancers with everybody. But verse 16, he will dwell on the heights. His refuge will be the impregnable rock. His bread will be given. His water will be sure. Well, we've already talked about what God, look, God himself, God himself says you're going to be taken. You're going to be taken to a vineyard he himself is prepared has prepared, and he's going to watch over you moment by moment. Amen? Amen. Okay? So this should trigger remembrances, this this high place. This should trigger within you, um, well, the thing that's a couple of times in the Bible. It's when you get your hinds feet. Okay? Uh, going to uh, 2 Samuel 22, verses 33 and 34. God is my strong fortress, and he sets the blameless in his way. Did you hear what I said? Anyway, let me go on. Verse 34. He makes my feet like hinds feet and sets me on my high places. Psalm 1833. Guess what? It says the same thing. He makes my feet like hinds feet and sets me upon my high places. Let's go to Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 19. The Lord God is my strength, and he has made my feet like hinds feet, and makes me walk on my high places for the choir director on my stringed instruments. You seriously need to look at that in Hebrew. But ladies and gentlemen, all of you need to go back and look at all these verses that I just mentioned, because God's expecting you to know this. He, he is absolutely expecting you to know what is to come. This is really going to happen. This is not some fight of fancy God's stuff. Don't you people understand it? This is God himself talking. He really don't care what you think. This is what he's going to do. There, there is no, no one qualified to give commentary on what just came out of God's mouth because this wasn't secondary information. This was coming straight out of his mouth. And it just... It, it, It amazes me um, how the entertainment eschatologist has everybody absolutely convinced that they're not going to see any of this because of a pre-tribulational event that takes them back to heaven. And I'm still looking for that text. The only mention of anyone ever going to heaven are the verses which I read to you tonight 
about this very exclusive group of 144,000 that get taken to be tutored by Christ the King himself for exactly 1,260 days. It's them, and it's nobody else. And God was perfectly clear in their parameters. He's perfectly clear about... um, You can say whatever you want to say. These are all from the Greek itself. They are all firstborn male children. Yes, they are. And he's not done. He's getting ready to, to... Ladies and gentlemen, so far this has been pretty simple and straightforward, right, Jose? Yes. It really has not been difficult. The only difficulty you ever had in this text, Jose, I know. I don't think I know. I know the only difficulty you had here, Jose, is was the difficulty in believing what he was saying. I mean, because it's pretty straightforward and clear, right? It is, Matthew. Um, yeah, especially that stanza that we just read, uh, he, he kind of lays it out <laughs> how you're supposed to be acting. If you want to be, uh, if you want to have those hinds feet on that day, <sighs> he who walks righteously and speaks with sincerity, he who rejects unjust gain and shakes his hands so that no bribe can be held. You know, that's a pretty interesting way to to put it, isn't it, Jose? Yes. And yet, is this not the same exact thing we keep reading over and over and over, no matter what? I mean, here at WI2C, we've been in the New Testament, we've been in Old Testament. Is it just me, or does it always say the same thing? It does, Matthew. I mean, it gets to the point where, you know, I've been on this diatribe saying this because it's a real easy thing to do. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, look, 1 John 3.10. I mean, you can believe whatever you want to believe, but, but the Lord, he's God. And he was pretty clear what he just stated here in verse 15. And you can bet your bottom dollar this, that this vineyard that's been prepared, it's an impregnable rock. Now, this phraseology here, uh, verse 16, he will dwell on the heights. His refuge will be an impregnable rock. His bread will be given him. His water will be sure. This is why Joe and I have done several episodes on an extraterrestrial relocation. Because it's quite possible that, well, you know what, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry if you don't believe that God can do whatever he wants to do, but I'll be the first to tell you if you've never heard it before. Um, He's the creator and he can do whatever he wants with his own creation. He don't have to ask your permission. Now, I have the wherewithal myself to realize that, you know, this is what he made for us. He made the planet Earth for his children, not the fallen. So, you know, on the one hand, I take umbrage with it. Of course, we're not going to, you know, be taken off planet. Because we have the right to be here. It's they that don't have the right to be here. And he he uses that phraseology before, too. Anyway, I'm rambling a little bit on too long here. This is, I'm sorry I had to stop and and preach. And those of you that are in the choir, fine. At least you got to hear God himself say it again here in Isaiah chapter 33. This is what's going to happen. And leading up to this, these are the things you better be practicing. Okay? I'm not a God-hater. And I'm not going to tell you to break the Ten Commandments. I'm not going to giggle and tell you to, uh, you know, attack other ministries. I'm not going to, you know, 
I'm not going to, uh, you know, laugh under my breath and tell you to cheat on your taxes. I'm not going to do anything about that. I'm just going to tell you what he himself said. And ladies and gentlemen, I, this is true. I don't care what these God-hating sons of disobedience are trying to convince you that you can, you know, sin your way into heaven. This is true. He who walks righteously and speaks with sincerity, he who rejects unrighteous gain or unjust gain and shakes his hand so that they hold no bribe, he who stops his ears from hearing about bloodshed and shuts his eyes from looking at evil, he will dwell on the heights, not anybody else. His refuge will be the impregnable rock, nobody else. He will have his bread and his water will be sure, nobody else. And if your preacher has you convinced of something else, at least you heard it straight out of God's own mouth. Ladies and gentlemen, this was God talking here. Isaiah was just writing down what God was saying. All right. To the last stanza, unless you have further commentary on that, Jose. Nope. All right. Let me see if I can finish this last stanza. I don't know. My, my voice is really getting strained here. Uh, probably because I'm babbling too much. Oh, my goodness. Really? Man. Ten minutes left. Um, something like that. All right. What I'm getting ready to say is true. Ladies and gentlemen, it's true. Your eyes will see the king in his beauty. They will behold a far distant land. Your heart will meditate on terror. Where is he who counts? Where is he who weighs? Where is he who counts the towers? You will no longer see a fierce people, a people of unintelligible speech, which no one comprehends, of a stammering tongue, which no one understands. Look upon Zion, the city of your appointed feast. Your eyes will see Jerusalem, a undisturbed habitation, a tent which will not be folded. Its stakes will never be pulled up, nor any of its cords torn apart. But there, the majestic one, the Lord, will be for us a place of rivers and wide canals on which no boat with oars will go and on which no mighty ship will pass. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. Our tackle hangs slack. It cannot hold the base of its mast firmly, nor spread out the sail. When the prey of an abundant spoil will be divided, the lame will take the plunder, and no resident will say, I am sick. The people who dwell there will be forgiven their iniquity. That's some pretty big words right there. Jose, take it away. All right, Matthew. So I keyed in on the word um, tent there in verse 20, what God's describing there. Um, I found this word in Exodus, right? I wanted, I wanted it to say the tabernacle of David, Matthew. That's what I, that's what I first jumped at, right? But that's not the word. The word is, uh, is uh, what we find in Exodus when talking about the tabernacle of the congregation. Okay. And so, um, this, this, what he's describing here with this tent, Matthew, right? That's when he straightens out the earth. That's when he, um, you know, makes that permanent connection from Zion and Jerusalem. And he, and he covered, he, you know, he's got that covering over that now. And, and that's not going to be taken down, Matthew. That's not going to be torn apart. Um, and, and he contrasts that with, uh, with, with the other, um, the other mass, the other, 
pole that was that tried to be raised up, right? That he's talking about in verse twenty-three. Those cords are slack. Those cords are not are not are they're not going to hold nothing up, right? That that old system that that the fallen have tried to keep keep up. That the that the um, Assyrian tries to erect and 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 put in place of the king. Yeah, that that's that's not going to hold. God's going to put up His tent. So. Those are the, those are the two key things I got out of, the, out of these sets of verses, Matthew. God's God's contrasting um, what He's going to raise up and and you know what He's going to what they're what they're going to try to raise up, but obviously it's not going to stand. Yes, and you know, ladies and gentlemen, this is coming straight from straight out from my book. I, I hate to say that, but literally what he just said here in verse twenty, he is describing a regular polygon tent shape that is a polygon that is both cyclic and equilateral now that's a whole lot of words but once you look you'll be able to understand this is like a big top tent you have one center pole in the middle it doesn't whether if you use five stakes or six stakes doesn't matter the stakes have to be equal distantly put apart and taunt so that is to say that this polygon tent must be around a circle. It's cyclical. It's, it must be on equal distantly around a circle around that, that center pole and equilateral. When you drive the stakes, they must be equal distantly apart. This is exactly what he just said in verse 20 here. And Jose is absolutely correct. God is literally coming right out and telling you that when he reorientates all of creation, Jerusalem is the only place that's not going to move and the place that is directly opposite of Jerusalem on the other side of the planet. He literally gave to you planet Earth after this event. He literally just told you exactly the only thing I needed to know as to know exactly where the new North Pole is going to be. He just handed it to me on a silver platter. He just told me this. We are going to jump over to Wikipedia real quick. And I'm going to get the grid coordinates for the foundation stone the most important thing on the planet. When we do that, it's of course up there up on the Temple Mount. The grid coordinates is 31.7780 degrees north and 35.2354 degrees east. After this day, guess where it's going to be? Okay. The axis of this planet's going to move. He's done told you that. But now he just told you exactly where it's going to be because this is where the foundation stone is going to be after that day. It's going to be at 31 degrees, 7780 north, 35.2354 east. It's going to be in the same exact place. That means the new North Pole is going exactly into one spot. And if you believe what God has said, you know exactly where it's going. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out. The only thing it takes is what I've already discussed with Jose. The most difficult thing is that you believe it. Because once you start believing what God says and tuning out the entertainment eschatologist, he tells you everything you want to know. I mean, he's already told you multiple times here in the Apocalypse of Isaiah that these towers, this unassailable city, ladies and gentlemen, he's talking about the constellations. And here he just he just said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, there's only one, there's only one 
that knows, that can weigh them, that can count them. That's God himself. I mean, he said things here. Well, that's just that I believe it. So because I believed it, I looked at the Hebrew and then I looked at the Greek. And then I just, my head was just swimming. There's so much information here. You know, I hope that everybody caught this. You know, me and Jose talked about it before because this is not the first time God's, God stated it. This Tower of Babel type event. Verse 19. You will no longer see a fierce people, a people of unintelligible speech, which no one comprehends, of stammering tongue, which no one understands. Jose, haven't we talked about that before? Yes, we have, Matthew. So... Literally, he's repeating himself again, right? Right, right. That's uh, when he when he sets everything right, right. Everything goes back to the way it was. So um, we're all going to understand each other, Matthew. <laughs> going to be no confusion. Well, this is how the apocalypse of Isaiah started out, right? He come out and said that, whether anybody was listening to him or not. But he did come out and say it. Let's jump back over there at how it how it how it starts out. He says, um, Isaiah chapter twenty four, the opening diatribe here. It says, um, the day he does this, the people will be like the priest, the servant his master, the maid her mistress, the buyer like the seller, the lender like the borrower, the creditor like the debtor. Right. Yep. What nobody's paying attention to is this is a cross-linguistic borders because I'm sorry, Jose, most of the things in your house, if I were to come into your house and turn them over and look and see where it was made, what does it say? Right now, that probably all says China, Matthew. Do you know Chinese? No, I do not. It's just now hitting you, isn't it, ladies and gentlemen? The Lord your God is the one that wrote this verse I just read, and it's irregardless of language. And, you know, ask the next time you get a chance, ask your entertainment eschatologist this. Why is it that the book of Revelation plainly states this many times, many nations, tribes, you know, tongues, yada, 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 but it never mentions any trouble with language? It never does. This is why, ladies and gentlemen, because what happened at the Tower of Babel is going to be undone. Yeah, it is. Oh, yes, it is. How do you think everybody in unison is able to pull off the sixth seal event? Let's go by there again. I've read it many, many times. I don't know how many times I've read it here during the apocalypse of Isaiah, but let's read it again because... This goes across all borders, okay? Everybody stands up, and in unison, they say something. But nobody ever stopped and asked themselves, hey, so everybody was saying that in English, or was everybody using different languages? I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree cast its unripe figs, when shaken by a great wind, the sky was split apart like a scroll when it was rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Then the kings of the earth, the great men, and the commanders, and the rich, and the strong, and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, and they said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne. And from the wrath of the Lamb. For their great day of the wrath has come, and who is able to stand? They all say this in unity because supernaturally, they all got the information at the same time. And God is using, he said this more than one time, that when this event happens, ladies and gentlemen, this event's real. Everyone on this planet knows what's going on from that point. And the Tower of Babel's been undone. You're all on the same page. Oh, you think the Assyrian false prophet's going to have to get him an interpreter to speak with you? That's funny. 
I mean, that really is funny. You really are short-sighted. But I guess it does take a whole lot of imagination to dream up that it that what comes out of, up out of the abyss is a pat, uh, Apache helicopters. So I guess I do appreciate that. I just didn't realize it. So, Jose, some shocking stuff here, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, I mean, the great details, Matthew. I mean, great. God always tells us, shares us great details more clarification but i mean it's it's the same thing he's been saying even in the few chapters of of the apocalypse of isaiah you know we don't even have to go outside of the apocalypse of isaiah to hear god repeating himself but he does tells us the same thing over and over and you know but it's different what he said tonight so it's it's almost like i said before he's you've You've got this Rubik's Cube, right? And all the information's at the center of that Rubik's Cube, and he keeps turning the sides over, showing you different perspectives. Because in a three-dimensional space, grid, you know, the grid coordinates has to be laid out a certain way. But, well, like I said, like I said then, he's showing you different perspectives of the same exact event. And it's to the point when when it happens, oh, ladies and gentlemen, at the Bema seat, you're not going to be able to argue with him. Yes, you did know. Yes, you did. Albeit subconsciously if you read it, but you did know it. He did tell you. It's just you didn't believe him. You didn't believe a word that was coming out of his mouth. You'll believe Tom, Dick, and Harry, and whoever else. And you'll pay them vast sums of money to tell them exactly what you want to hear. But I'm telling you that you are going to go to the Bema seat. Yes, you are. And when you get there, he's not going to entertain the idea you didn't know what he said. Because yes, you did. So it's all right here. It's all been here. You've all read this before. Yes, you have. You know, Jose, answer me. So, you know, You've read Isaiah chapter 33 before, right? Yes, I have, Matthew. Tonight's not your first rodeo, is it? No. It's just the difference between then and now. You believe what it says, right? Yep. How, how hard is that? It's not, Matthew. Um, especially when you believe everything else he says, because it all lines up and it all makes sense. When you try to make this chapter say something else, that's when you get in trouble. That's when you get lost. Yes. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to check out my book, uh, the pictorial representation I gave you, it's on page 50. And the only thing I can say is believe what he says, but you can't do that if you're too busy being entertained. But when he comes out and says something like that, by the way, from this point forward, you ain't got to worry about not being able to understand what's going on because God's played this game long enough. Well, I didn't know. Well, I assure you, when and if God does send you to hell for listening to the false prophet, it's going to be because you understood every word that come out of that abomination's mouth because you wouldn't listen to his son. You rejected everything his son said. You were willing to pay people vast sums of money to tell them that, you know, you can lie, cheat, steal, whore, you know. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, I hope I'm not the first one to tell you this, but if you operate an illegal business, you've damned yourself. Nobody thinks you're going to heaven but you. If you're running a pornography website right now, you're not a Christian. You are going to hell. And I'm not going to endanger myself going to hell by lying to you. You ain't worth going to hell. I don't care who you are. I'm here to tell you. Me and Jose have repeatedly told you, do this much. Follow the Ten Commandments and the Beatitudes. Anything else is an outright abject lie. 
straight out of the devil's mouth himself. So are we done? Of course not. The apocalypse of Isaiah has plenty more to give. Amen. Amen, Matthew. All right. Pray us out of here, Jose. All right. Dear Heavenly Father, whom we love and serve, I thank you continuously for allowing us to get together, for allowing us to share your word. Father, we ask that what you've said in, in this chapter resonates with us, that it reminds us of who you are and who your son is, and it reminds us of what we're supposed to be doing as we await your coming. Lord, I also pray for those that are in danger right now, whether it be through warfare or any other troubles, and I ask that you comfort them and you give them peace and solace, Father, and let them know that you are there with him. And I also pray for this ministry, and I pray for the ministers, and I ask that you continue to give us strength, Lord, to do your work, and also to help keep our hearts open to help those around us. And we ask all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen and amen. Till next time, ladies and gentlemen, God bless. Godspeed. Thank you for listening to Maranatha Ministries with Matthew Miller. I appreciate you tuning in. For more information, stop by and visit us at patreon.com backslash Matthew Miller. Or you can correspond to us via snail mail by writing to P.O. Box 024, Reader, North Dakota, 58649. Now, if you're a God-fearing, Bible-believing, gospel-preaching Christian, please repeat after me. I pledge allegiance to the Bible, God's holy word. I will make it a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Its words will I hide in my heart that I might not sin against God. <laughs>